All right, welcome to the Ocean Water Podcast, the voice for indigenous water rights. Uh, today I have with me uh, Kurt Johnston. Um, he has been... Up, man? Yeah, how you doing, Kurt? Uh, Kurt has been a, Good. a leader and a pastor for, for three decades plus. Uh, he's been a, a pastor and a leader at Saddleback Church for, for 23 years. Kurt has, has written 20-plus um, books. Uh, that's on a, on a professional note. Um, and uh, Pastor Rick seems to think that Kurt's quite a guy. Kurt is uh, the next-gen pastor, and he oversees uh, all things uh, birth through college um, at all of the campuses for Saddleback. And then on a personal note, Kurt is someone that I met uh, when I was 16 years old, uh, and uh, someone who just picked me up and took took me surfing in his Volkswagen van. So that's the context of how Kurt and I met, and we've been friends since then, and still surf, and still drink coffee, and still get burritos uh, more often, yes. more often and, than you would think. Yes, and you know the old saying, the student has become the teacher. That's how it is with surfing with you and I. Yeah. I think when we met, I might have been better than you. But you've gotten better since you were 16, and I haven't. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we, 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 we still enjoy uh, uh, surfing and, and coffee. And really, the, life, the lifestyle that we have hasn't, hasn't changed a whole lot. But our, right. but our roles have. Yeah. So for people to get to know you a little bit today, um, start out with what is your favorite uh, food at your hometown restaurant? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, our hometown restaurant is Baja Fish Tacos. It's a very small chain. I think there's probably five of them in Southern Orange County. Um, but my favorite go-to is basically like a burrito bowl um, with, I need not half and half, I need a portion of each. So it's steak and chicken, but not 50-50, not one of each. So double the meat, but half of it's steak, half of it's chicken. With with lots of guacamole. It's awesome. I haven't had anything to eat today, so that sounds that sounds incredible. Um, that's awesome. Uh, and you forgot to leave, and I know you like iced tea, man. You forgot to leave the iced tea out. <laughs> I I I am an ice I'm an iced tea guy. Sweet tea is probably my biggest vice in life, but I have laid off sweet tea mostly for about the last year and a half. Wow. wow. So. On, e on every birthday in our family, in our immediate family, on every birthday, I'll cheat and eat unhealthy. Um, and yesterday, we celebrated my son's 23rd birthday, and my cheat was to get a half sweet tea, half unsweet tea. So I was, I was going crazy yesterday. <laughs> You're off the rails, man. You're getting wild. Off, off the rails. Off the rails. All right, so what are you doing these days, and, um, and how did you get into it? How, how did I get where? To... How did you get into it? You know, what are you doing these days, and how did, yeah. you, how did you get oh, into it? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I think like a lot of people in any chosen career, um, if you stay in it long enough, which is interesting, that's a little bit of a generational thing, right, guys? my age and older, probably even your age and older maybe, um, had a little bit more of a tendency to pick a career, maybe even pick a company or an organization and stay with it for the long haul. Um, 
these days that's less less likely um, just the way things the way industry has changed and the way making a living has changed less and less people stay in one place for a long period of time but anyway um, like like a lot of people who would be in one quote unquote industry for a long time I've been in youth ministry since 1988 and I've been at my church since 1997 at this at, at Saddleback um, and so you know if, if you're decent at what you do and you stay in one place long enough chances are your role is going to morph and change a little bit over time um, and that's been the case for me it's it, i came to saddleback as a junior high pastor then i became the student ministries pastor then we started launching campuses so i became the uh, the central support or the global youth pastor for the different campuses and now we've got 18 campuses four of them are international in Hong Kong and Berlin and Manila and Buenos Aires, um, plus 14 in, in Southern California. Um, and then I started, um, I was asked to add the children's ministry kind of under my leadership portfolio. So, you know, that's kind of what I do currently. And then, and then right, just recently I've been asked to sort of help us think through and support the teams that lead our multi-site strategies. So that's kind of a new area that I'm thinking about and working on. So, you know, I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades at Saddleback, but a, a, I would say I spend most of my time focusing really on kids and youth ministry. <laughs> well, typical Kurt fashion, that's really understated. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate about you and look up to you, I know I speak for myself and all of my close friends is your, your, um, your loyalty, your humility, your hard work. And what people don't know about you is how smart you are. You sort of, you sort of hide behind your, your smile and your surfing, but, but behind all that's this super, super, super um, uh, smart guy. And, uh, and uh, you always have led with humility so well. So that's sort of a, ba your, that's sort of a backhanded compliment. People, people have no idea that you're smart, Kurt. <laughs> well, that's the genius of it. <laughs> you know, you're you're a little bit that way you're a little bit that way well and I, I resonated with when you interviewed Drew Tevez and you guys were talking about our generation you didn't you didn't tell people yeah. if you were smart or what you're I mean that's me you know I grew up I grew up super poor and in a super humble family and you know there just wasn't room for bragging and um, self-promotion or any you know didn't even I don't, I don't know if there wasn't room as much as it just didn't even, it didn't even exist back then. And our family, when you're, when you're dirt poor, you, you don't have much to brag about. Right. Um, so it, it, you know, kind of talking about yourself wasn't something that, that I grew up with. Yeah. Well, that's something that we've all had to learn and process and get around and, and then also kind of like step back into this space now where, you know, how do you, how do you have a voice because you want to pass on some of the lessons from the school of hard knocks and all the things that you've learned over the years, you know, how do you, how do you then find a voice? Not because you're trying to promote um, yourself, but because you really care about passing along some of the stuff that you've yeah. learned and also helping people that are half our age think clearly about um, different things. So yeah. we're all trying to, that out. Yeah, well, well, here's my thoughts on that. Um, because I've written quite a bit, I often get people asking me, hey, how do you write a book? How do I want to write a book? Should I write a book? 
Um, so I think my advice for writing a book might be the same for somebody who wants to have a, a voice, whether it's podcast or I just want to have more influence. Um, but what I, what I'll typically say is I think there's three things to having influence or to writing a book would be, do you have something to say? Like, do, do you have something to say? Is it, do you have a compelling message? Do you have a compelling story? Um, are you the one to say it? Right. And then the third one kind of follows up on, on whether or not you're the one to say it is, do people want to hear it from you? So do you have something to say? Are you the one to say it? And do people want to hear it from you? Um, and all of those, I think, have to work together. And I'm not sure if there's a magic formula, but a lot of that, do you have something to say? Are you the one to say it? And do people want to hear it from you? A lot of it comes from longevity and just being faithful in what you're doing and what you're called to do, because the longer you're in it, the more likely you are to have something really good to say. You've got experience, you've got wisdom, you've got insight. You're the one to say it because you've been doing it for a long time. And then oftentimes people will want to hear it from you because you've got something to say and you're the one to say it. Um, the only thing that messes up, I think, whether people want to hear it from you is your posture. Are you, from a, are you coming from a place of humility versus pride? Are you a know-it-all? Are you a self-promoter? All that kind of stuff. That can hurt whether or not people want to hear what you have to say. Wow. Well, what do you wish, you know, to help with people understand like the value of like learning on the job, what, what do you wish that, that you had known when you started out? Oh gosh. Who I think I wish I would have known when I started out. Um, that's so much, you know, for my job, it's ministry, right? It's church, it's local church ministry. That's all I've ever done since I was 22. Um, I think, I wish I would have known that so much of what we think matters in ministry doesn't matter. And so much of the stuff that we um, undervalue is the stuff that matters the most. I wish I would have known that. So um, being a really good speaker doesn't matter as much as I thought it did. Having the biggest youth group in town doesn't matter as much as I thought it did having a really cool room to meet in doesn't matter as much as I thought it did. Um, what matters is the stuff that isn't sexy, but it's the stuff that changes lives, right? It's being there for people. It's showing up when uh, a kid's having their tonsils out in the hospital. It's making the phone call to the dad who just lost his job and just saying, what, what can the church do for you? Um, it's the nit nitty gritty ministry matters way more than I thought it did when I first got into it. And what's interesting is as culture has shifted and as, you know, the rise of more mega churches and social media and blogging and podcasting and all that, if we're not careful, it's really easy to think that's all the stuff that matters. And yet I think what still matters the most hasn't changed in, in my 30 years. I mean, 30 years later, I can still go to the hospital and visit the sick, the sick kid. 30 years later, I can still make a, a pastoral phone call to a family. 30 years later, I can still respond in a timely matter 
um, to, to a family in need. That's the stuff that I wish I would have, I kind of undervalued that early on, just the, the, the value of the nitty gritty. The other thing I think I wish I would have known earlier on was how if you don't really pay attention to the stuff that you know matters, but you take it for granted, how quickly it, it, it fades away or how quickly you can lose sight of it. So I'll use an example of um, Jesus first in ministry, like Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused ministry. We would all say, well, of course, that's what the church does. And yet, because we just assume that's what the church does, that's what we're about, if we're not careful, the church, youth groups have really gotten good at this, um, can become and Jesus instead of Jesus and. And what I mean by that is, if, if, if you take your eye off the ball and you just assume, of course, we're all about Jesus. If you're not careful, you start doing all these things. We do small groups, we do camps, we do activities, we, and we talk about Jesus. As opposed to, no, we talk about Jesus, we're Jesus first, and we also have small groups. We're Jesus first, and we do camp. We're, we, we're about Jesus, and, and just, just that, that understanding or that, that realization that if you take your eye off the ball of what's most important, and there's you know, obviously Jesus first, but there's 18, 20 things that we would say in ministry are really, really important. Um, and it, you can't just assume that everybody all the time for all eternity will remember that those are the most important things unless you're constantly ringing the bell and pointing people to this is what we're about and this is what we do and we do some other stuff. It's real easy to get caught up in all the other stuff and then you kind of lose sight of the stuff that matters most. Wow. Mike kept so many <laughs> notes I'm taking. So good. Um, so what do you find yourself uh, curious about these days? Yeah. Well, I think you asked that question at the most odd time in ministry's history, right? Um, if you would have asked me that question two months ago, I, would have, I think I'd have a totally different answer. But it's impossible for you to ask me that question right now without thinking, like, what's the church going to look like when this is all over? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if the church is going to be radically different. In, um, I don't know how much church is going to stay online and all that kind of stuff. I definitely think if we don't walk away with one or two or three massive learnings and one or two seismic shifts that we have to make coming out of this, I think we've missed an opportunity. So that's what I'm noodling on is, is, is that I'm fascinated by the fact that this has brought old school and new school have collided in this season when it comes to ministry. Um, praise the Lord. We live in a new school world. Um, if this had happened 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, the church's ability to meet online and to continue functioning without gathering, I think would have been non-existent. Yeah. Um, so that's the, that's the new school. It's forcing Zoom meetings and online services and all this crazy new awesome stuff that's always existed. We've just never tapped into it because we didn't really have a need. But it's also forcing us to go back to some really old school practices of 
phone calling our people. How are you doing? How can the church pray for you? Are you in need? We can drop off groceries, um, handwriting notes to our congregants and mailing stuff. Um, there's just some really kind of old school ministry that has got left by the wayside that now, even though, even though we're benefiting from technology to keep the church moving, we're also kind of being forced or maybe if we're, if we're shrewd and smart, we're re-embracing some of the older ministry practices that we never had to rely on for the last 20 years that some of us are going, going back to a little bit. Um, you know, we can't rely on programs and fancy youth buildings. We can't rely on amazing worship bands. Um, I mean, we can, you know, if you watched Easter, Holy Smokes, some of the, some of the best part of Easter services was how the worship teams were doing worship but it's still different. Um, we, we can't rely on so much of the stuff that we've relied on. It's, it's, it's making me rethink relational incarnational ministry. Like how do you really go to people, even though we can't go to people, what's that look like? Um, I'm rambling a little bit because it's a great question. And one that, um, is constantly on my mind. Um, what are we thinking about? And so for me, the biggest thing is just, what are we going to hold on to when we come out of the season that, that we'll look back and say, you know, that was a tough two or three months or whatever it's going to end up being. Um, but wow, what a gift, what a gift to the church. What, what a gift to families, um, you know, for all the squabbling and fussing and fighting, I'm sure it's going on with families and trying to homeschool kids and kids going stir crazy when it's all said and done, what a gift. I know it doesn't sound like it right now. And I'm an empty nester, so it's easier to say this than if I was living it. Um, but what a gift for parents to have prolonged mm. family time right now that we, we just don't have anymore. And so I, I think coming out of it is what do we want to hold on to? What have we learned? What are one or two big changes that we're going to make as a result? Yeah, I know that's been, in a way, this has brought my family and I closer, and that's been a wonderful benefit of all of that, just having dinner and trying to watch movies together every night. It's, it's been, been wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Really wonderful. Um, what is something that you have, you have failed at? Hmm. Well, from a minister, I've, 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 a couple things, all, I mean, couple things a couple things come to mind instantly i think i failed all. <laughs> i mean what cat what category do you want right you want friendship fails marriage fails parenting fails leadership fails whatever follower whatever of jesus just failings of my my loyalty to jesus um pick a category i'll give you a handful of fails um but i have failed and i've corrected this I think, but I think it was a failure, a significant failure. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's what sparked that conversation about if you take your eye off the ball. Um, I think one of my failures came to surface a few years ago, and that was when we were interviewing a lot of kids who have grown up in our ministry, who felt called to ministry, and they wanted to be interns with us for the summer. And we were interviewing five or six or seven of those kids. And um, part of that interview, I would ask them, 
hey, let's pretend we're at summer camp and I'm a teenager and I ask you to lead me into a relationship with Jesus. How would you do that? And Ryan, it was, it was shockingly disappointing. Um, these are kids who were the cream of our youth ministry crop. They felt called to ministry. They wanted to intern with us. And I would say way more often than not, these students had a really, really hard time articulating the gospel, um, helping, helping students understand a, a true need for Jesus. Um, I mean, I would get answers, everything from, well, I would just tell them to run into God's arms. Just run to God. Okay. Well, now what? Okay. I'm, ru I'm running to God. <laughs> I'm running. To now what? Oh, he's just going to hug you. He just wants to hug you. Okay. I'm hugging God. And that would be the end of the, that would be the end of their ability to, to explain what life in Christ means or, or why we need a savior or how do we enter into new life in Jesus. Um, or the far extreme would be just rattling off the talking points perfectly. But if I gave them a, if I gave them a question or I pushed back, they wouldn't know how to explain it in, in, in any language. They just knew the Roman road, but they knew that they had the Roman road memorized. They didn't know how to, make it conversational or personal. They couldn't defend it. Um, and so for me, that was a massive failure of our youth ministry that I'm the leader of is failing in helping our students really understand. And these are kids who are Christians and love Jesus, but they really don't know how to explain that or defend it or articulate it in a way that shows that they really do truly understand it. That was hard. That was hard. That was hard. And so that's where we started making some adjustments to Jesus first thinking. Um, we've, we've created a uniformed way that we teach students to share their faith and to defend it. Um, just, and we're just trying to kind of turn the tide of that. And I think we have largely, but it's tough. You know, I mean, go to any church in America under any pastor and there's going to be a whole bunch of people in that congregation that, the light bulb hasn't quite turned on fully. It's still kind of kind of going off and on, right? And, and the pastor is doing a great job. So it's not all on me. It's not all on us. Part of the adolescent development process is they just don't get it all right away. Um, but it was, it was a little bit of a reminder. And then I've also failed just super pragmatically. I'm an ideas guy. If I wasn't in ministry, I think I would be a failed entrepreneur. <laughs> failed because I have had so I fact, many. I do know that you have purchased 53 website domains. Is no, it? it, was, it and I purged it. I purged it a month ago. <laughs> I had, Ryan, Ryan, I had over, I had over 100 website domain names. <laughs> over a hundred. Um, yeah. And I've, I've worked with friends to pitch little company ideas here and there. And what it's done for me is it's made me realize I'm a pastor. I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm not a business guy. I'm not, I mean, I think I am an entrepreneur because I, that's how I think. I'm yeah. a creator. I'm a creator. But using all of that energy and all that gift, all of those gifts into the ministry setting is my contribution to the world. I'll let, I'll let somebody else how to deliver you know, socks in a, in a creative box monthly, you know, all those dumb things. I'll let other people worry about how to do that kind of stuff. Wow. But if, but if anybody watching has those skills and they want to come to me with some ideas, 
I'd be happy to, I'd be happy to partner and just take a little skim a little off the profits once you do yeah. all the hard work. <laughs> it's probably going to happen. Um, so good. Um, well, we're, we're definitely going to have to, to do, uh, to do a part two at some point. You have so much, uh, so much to say. Um, let's make a little bit of a pivot. And um, what would you describe as the, as the current um, sort of water situation in the world? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I'm gonna be honest, Ryan. I would only describe it based on what I've learned largely from you and hanging out from you and being exposed to ocean water. Um, like most people, I knew there was a water problem. I knew that a whole lot of people don't have access to clean water. Um, I knew that a lot of the big illnesses in the world, not, not in America, not in America, but all over the world, a lot of the problems and sicknesses are caused by people having little to no clean water access. Um, and I knew that there's a whole bunch of nonprofit organizations that are out there digging wells and trying to trying to help figure it out. Um, I didn't understand anything about the the um, desalinization options or technology until you started really immersing yourself in it. I didn't understand really how the church could really play a big part in it until you started, you and I started talking. Um, and to me, that's the most exciting part about ocean water is the, those two things that you're, you're going after desalinization as your method and you're using the local church as your, as your method, right. Or as your, um, as your model of how to get it done. Those two things to me are what set ocean water way apart. And there's room for everybody. There's room, that, you know, I mean, there's room for everybody. I just love the angle that you're going after it. I think it's, I think it's super sustainable. I think, I think the only way any real significant nonprofit work in, in the, in the Christian arena, in the faith-based arena is ultimately sustainable is if it's local church based, not local church funded, but local church based, like using using the local church as as the people in the field doing it yes um because that's you know those those local churches or the local church isn't going anywhere nope you know if, if ryan if 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 god blesses ocean water and you start a thousand churches all over the world doing clean water as their mission their evangelism their their ministry to the community and you get old and you close ocean water's doors and there's no successor to take it over. Who cares? Exactly. The work, the work doesn't stop. The work doesn't stop because you've got a thousand churches that are doing it on your behalf, on the kingdom's behalf. And so to me, that's, that's the key. Yeah. When, when, when I, when I really understood that the, local church needed to champion local water rights for the indigenous. Yeah. Well, that's when, that's when I knew it was uh, time to 
take a very big jump in uh, after being trained at Saddleback and doing what we're doing now. And it's, it's why I've chosen to do this, this podcast because if someone else was having this conversation, I'd be happy to go support them and help them to do it. Right. <laughs> we want to be, right. this, this is important and we want to, we want to be that voice for it. Yeah. Well, and you're, you know, you're a, you're a micro example, I think, of what, why the pivot mattered. Before you pivoted, Ocean Water was showing up as an NGO and delivering water filters and, and educating people. Um, but if you quit doing it, then that work would have quit. And then, you, and then you pivoted and became a church that's planting churches to do the work and now the, 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 the opportunity for exponential ministry and for this thing to outlive Ryan Dallimator, um is, is significant. Yeah, especially at this moment in time when so many of our younger leaders, all the people that are half our age are just so bored. They're just so bored, absolutely bored with church, bored with um, the way they've experienced life. And, you know, you look at the world, you look at 197 countries, you look at 108 of those countries that have direct access to the ocean. You look at tens of thousands of beaches all over the world that, that don't even have a church. Right. Some of the neediest places. And so we just pray that we can start to have this conversation and that God will start to call the, the people that, you know, he, he taps us all on the shoulder, right? It's it's yeah. how, how we're sitting here, and, and yeah. you, you think you think that God God just starts these little things in your life, like way back in high school when I when I went surfing with you, and he tapped me on the shoulder, and he tapped you on the shoulder. So we're kind of hoping and praying out of this that by having this conversation, that God will start to tap some people on the shoulder, so we can make a make a difference in in, in people's lives. I had a feeling when you and I got together today that. Uh, this was gonna go. This was gonna go fast. I had I had ten, um, ten questions. I think we got through six of them. Maybe we could come back in a couple of weeks, Kurt. You have so much um, that that needs to just be heard, and, and a lot of note taking from a lot of people that are gonna listen to this. Maybe we can come back and do a part two in a couple of weeks. Would you be open sure. to that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Sorry, sorry, I got a little bit long. No, 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 no. That's that's exactly how how we want this to roll. And uh, I think I can say uh, on behalf of everybody, everybody, thank you so much for your time, man. I was, hey, dude, thanks. I was taking copious mental notes as you were. As you were as <laughs> wow. Thank you so well, much. Thanks. thanks for having me, bro. Love you, dude. Yeah, have a wonderful day, everybody. Okay. Yep, you too. See ya.